The reading is taken from Acts 10, starting at verse 1. Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gift to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are all well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, 
I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. So skipping to verse 18, When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Thank you, Martin and Helen. Very well read. Let's pray as we come to God's word, shall we? Lord, we've just read while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. We pray this evening that he would come on us, as we hear the message, as we hear you speaking to us. And we pray that he would open our eyes to see Jesus in all his glory and make us more like him. In his name we pray. Amen. 
We don't need me to tell you that we live in a very unsettled time in world history. Relationships uh, with Russia, as we read this last week, are strained. We've got a new um, uh, unpredictable president of the United States about to be sworn in, put it that way. Um, the EU is having a bit of an identity crisis. There's war in the Middle East. And there are conflicts in many countries throughout the world. And yet, at the same time, there is much movement of peoples between countries. There's much integration of different cultures. In London, um, I was looking up there, the figures, there are apparently 300 languages spoken and more than 50 non-indigenous communities with a population of more than 10,000 people. Now, in this area, we may be a fairly uh, uh, mono-ethnic uh, community, but you've only got to go to Aylesbury or Oxford or, or High Wycombe, and it's very different. But what role does Christianity play in all of this? Is it a religion of the West, as some would claim? Whereas the, uh, the religion of the, the Middle East is, is Islam, and, and that of the, the Far East is, uh, is Buddhism and, and other religions. If other ethnic groups that do come to, to this country, do we just leave them to follow their other religions, uh, because that is part of their culture? Last week we looked at the conversion of Saul. He called himself the worst of sinners. Someone who sought to, to wipe out Christianity and wipe out Christian Christians. And as we saw his life dramatically transformed, the reassurance we got that was that God can change anyone. Even those uh, dear to us who we feel are hard-hearted, those we've been praying for for years, those who seem to be a long way from Christ, God can change but what about those from other cultures, those so ingrained with the, the ways of their religions? Can he really change them? Does he want to change them? After all, why did he choose the Jews as his special people? Well, this evening we're looking at this other great passage from, from Acts, a book which traces the growth of the gospel, the growth of, growth of God's kingdom on earth. And the event that uh, takes place is like a sequel to a, a previous event at the beginning of Acts. There's um, probably not many sequels that you can think of um, that are better than the first. Uh, some films probably should never have had a sequel, uh, let alone seven or eight. But this evening we're looking at a better sequel um, because we're looking at the return of Pentecost. Pentecost Reloaded, or if you like, just playing Pentecost 2. As with all sequels, we have continuity of characters. So we have Peter. We have the leading role played by the Holy Spirit. We don't have such a, a big budget. There's no cast of 3,000 this time. But we have a great little twist in the plot, don't we? Because in Pentecost 2, the Jewish believers, we're told, are astonished that the Holy Spirit has also poured out on the Gentiles. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is for all nations. God welcomes believers from all nations into his kingdom. The belief of the Jews for centuries that a, that a holy and pure God could not possibly pour out his Holy Spirit on unclean Gentiles has been shattered by this episode. The gospel is for all nations. 
But you don't have to ask yourself, don't you, why are the Jewish believers so astonished? Because, after all, it was part of God's salvation plan. If we go back to to Genesis, what did God say to Abraham back in Genesis 12? He said, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, through your descendants. God chose the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, to be a blessing to the rest of the world. Also, the Jewish Christians should have known from the Great Commission because they were called to to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So how does God open up his kingdom to to all nations? Well, let's have a look at this uh, very dramatic uh, story. Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 10 and we see Cornelius introduced to us, a Roman centurion a man of considerable influence and power. And interestingly here, we're told that he and his family were devout. They're they're God-fearing. He gives to the poor. He prays to God regularly. Does that mean he's saved? No, as as we'll see. But there is something pleasing to God about him. He's seeking almost for God. God sends an angel to him telling him to, to send for Peter, this man Peter who's currently in Joppa. So the scene switches in verse 9 to Joppa, where we find Peter staying in the house of Simon Tanner. And before Cornelius' men get there, Peter goes up, we're told, on the roof to pray. Gets a little bit peckish, and while someone's getting some food for him, he falls into this trance, and he has this vision. And what he sees are animals that were regarded as unclean by the the Jewish ceremonial law. And he hears a voice to to get up and kill and eat. And Peter quite naturally responds that he can't eat anything that is unclean. But the voice comes back with these words, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. In other words, now that Jesus has come, he's performed that final sacrifice to remove that barrier between humankind and God. He's removed it for all time. The gospel is to go out to all nations. All those old ceremonial laws about foods and such like are no longer valid. The barrier to the Gentiles has been brought down. And just to make it absolutely clear to Peter that this is from God, um, it happens three times, we're told. And to make it doubly clear, just at that moment, three Gentiles, the men from Cornelius' household, appear at the door to his house. It's no coincidence they've been sent by God. And Peter's told by the Spirit to go with them. So after inviting them in to be his guests for the night, which was already quite a radical thing for a Jew to do, Peter sets out the next day with them. And we're told some of the Christian brothers and sisters go along with him. But when he gets to Caesarea, he's met by Cornelius at the entrance to his house. Uh, And as they go in, he soon realizes this isn't going to be a nice little intimate one-to-one with uh, Cornelius. Because he's invited all his family, his close friends. There's a house full of people. There's a large gathering. Reminds me of when I went to Senegal and we were invited to this man's house in a village on an island. And as we went in, we realized actually half the village were crammed into this, uh, this house to hear what I was going to say. And Peter explains, to to start off with, actually, he shouldn't really be there. 
Jews shouldn't associate with Gentiles. But only because of his vision, he's accepted the invitation. He's still not quite sure why he's there, and so he asks very politely in verse 29, um, may I ask why, why you sent me? <laughs> it's like a preacher turning up without any sermon prepared. Um, what am I doing here? And Cornelius, Cornelius explains that actually it was God who told him to send for Peter. And they're all waiting, eager to hear what he has to say to them. Well, before Peter says anything, he confesses in verse 34. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. The other believers who were with Peter also realized the same thing a little later in verse 45, uh, where it says the circumcised believers who'd come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. But of course, those who weren't around are a little bit skeptical. And so when Peter goes up to to Jerusalem, we're told in verse 2 of chapter 11 here that the circumcised believers criticized him. He came in here for a bit of flack. But after he explains everything that has happened, in verse 18 we're told, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Well, before we come on to the message that Peter actually gave them that that caused this change, what do we take away from this conclusion that Peter comes to, that uh, God does not show favoritism? He accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. I guess the obvious question, the application is positively, if God doesn't show favoritism, then nor should we. But positively... um, We should accept people from all nations. And the question is, is how can we be more accepting? And just a few things for us to think about this evening in terms of of applying this. I think one is this by welcoming immigrants and refugees. And I don't mean this by the, we should all necessarily welcome into our home and uh, adopt maybe even a Syrian refugee, but maybe that may be right for some here this evening. Who, Who knows? But wherever we are aware of people talking about maybe um, immigrants, refugees, maybe talking about them negatively, and we've been told that is, is often the case uh, post-Brexit. There's a sense of standing up for them, isn't there? Of welcoming them. Wherever we meet people from different ethnic groups, we should treat them with respect, as we would do anybody, even if they can't speak the same language or even if they're struggling to make themselves understood. There's a sense of showing interest in them and their culture and getting to know them getting to know their situation. By enabling gospel work amongst those of other religions, it doesn't, again, mean that we will all actively get involved necessarily amongst reaching out to those of different ethnic groups. But um, we do already do that in some ways. We support missionaries who are actively engaged in countries where other religions are being practiced. We, we, uh, We support Bethel and Tenebu in Senegal a Muslim country. We support the Berts in Niger, another Muslim country. Even our own country, we're supporting Sarah and Amjad 
in a high Wycombe working with, with Muslims. And who knows what um, the Lord may have in store for Helen as she looks into where the Lord is leading her. Maybe God is calling some of us to get involved with that work. But even if he isn't, we should all seek to understand what people of other religions actually believe so we can engage with them and talk to them. We shouldn't assume that God cannot change people of other religions. If Christianity is the true religion, then God will make that clear to those of other religions. And thirdly, um, just by guarding against other forms of discrimination, not just uh, against uh, those of other ethnic uh, uh, backgrounds, what about others from different social backgrounds? Does the makeup of our church reflect the, the social makeup of our community? I'm not sure that it does. Why is that? Maybe it's because we're uh, so comfortable in our, in our own social circles. Are we putting up invisible barriers to those of different social groups? Well, let's come on to our next point, because what is amazing about this episode is the pouring of the Spirit comes in verse 44. Have a look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with people were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. They heard them speaking in tongues or other languages and, and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely... No one can stand in the way of them, but they're being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And it raises the question, doesn't it? Why does the Spirit come at this particular time? There's no inviting the Spirit to come. There's a, uh, the Spirit is free to come and go as he pleases, as, as we know. So why does he come at this particular moment? Is there anything about the situation that causes him to come? And the second point I want to make is the Spirit comes when the gospel is proclaimed, when the word of God is proclaimed. Let's go to um, Acts, uh, to Romans, sorry, chapter 10. Come with me in your Bibles to page 1137 of the, uh, the church Bibles. And let me read from, from verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, 
How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. Faith came to the household of Cornelius and the Gentiles through hearing the message. The message they heard was the message about Christ. The reason they heard the message was because the Spirit sent Peter to them to proclaim the message about Christ. The Spirit empowered Peter to proclaim that message. Remember the key verse from Acts 1 we looked at many weeks ago now on a Sunday morning back in Acts 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Peter has received power from the Spirit to proclaim the message. But the reason Cornelius and his household were saved was because the Spirit enabled them to believe the message. The Spirit works with the Word of God. Word and Spirit go together. So what was it about the message? What was it that encouraged the Spirit to come at that point? If we think about one of the key roles of the Spirit, it is for him to to open eyes to help people see that Christ is real so they can love him, so they can obey him. So they can trust him. So let's look at Peter's message, his little gospel talk. I know it's probably just a summary of what he actually said. But in English, it's only 234 words. Let's go back to it in chapter 10. It only took a couple of minutes, but it's packed full of gospel truth. So what did Peter think it was necessary to say? Hopefully you can read this. If not, have a look in your own Bibles. The first seven key truths that come out of this, and the first of those is that Jesus brings peace. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. We are by nature hostile towards God, and he's angry at our sin and our rebellion. But Christ brought Forgiveness. He was able to put aside the anger of God. He took it upon himself. And he brought peace between humankind and God. Jesus is Lord of all. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. When God made peace between humans and himself... He sent somebody to do that. He didn't just send a messenger, he didn't send an angel. He sent Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Not just Lord of the Jews, but Lord of the Gentiles. Lord of Cornelius and his family. And not just Lord of the Gentiles, but Lord of all heavenly beings. We know from Revelation that he is Lord of lords and King of kings. He's Lord of the universe and everything in it. He is Lord of all. Thirdly, Jesus is a man anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, but beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth 
with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. Even though Jesus is God and Lord of all, amazingly he is also a man. Hence the title Jesus of Nazareth. That's where he lived, that's where he had his uh, carpentry business that he learned from his father. The Lord of all was also a human like you and me. But he was anointed with the, the Holy Spirit and power so that he could go around doing good and healing people. He carried out his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. And because God was constantly with him, and he maintained this intimate relationship with his father, Jesus could only do what was good. He was tempted to do bad, just like we are, but he always conquered that temptation. And so by the power of the Spirit, he conquered the devil. Jesus is stronger than the devil. Jesus rescues people who are oppressed and tormented by the devil. Peter wants Cornelius and his family, and he wants us to know this and to believe it and to experience it. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes to make Jesus real as a deliverer from the power of the devil. Fourthly, Jesus was killed despite his goodness. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. In spite of the fact that he was God's peacemaker, in spite of the fact that he was Lord of all, in spite of the fact that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and power and went around doing good and healing people and was stronger than sin and the devil and that God was with him, he was killed. And it can only have been because it was the will of God. And unlike a Pentecost 1 where Peter explains that and makes that explicit, he doesn't do that here, but he moves on to the most important thing, that Jesus was raised from the dead. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Jesus is alive because God raised him from the dead. He vindicated him, he gave him the name that is above every name, so that every tongue in the universe will confess that he is indeed Lord of all. And his resurrection was a bodily resurrection. He's not mere spirit, verse 41 says, that uh, the witnesses that God chose ate and drank with him. He has a new resurrection body, which he took with him into heaven and which he will come back um, with when he comes to prepare for the new heavens and the new earth. Sixthly, Jesus is the judge of all people. Verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Peter lifts him up as the judge of every person in the universe, whether they are dead or alive. Each person standing there right in front of him in Cornelius' house, each person sitting here this evening will stand before Jesus Christ as their judge. And Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, will decide where we spend eternity. 
And what he decides in that moment, we decide now. We will either be condemned justly for all our sins and sent to everlasting condemnation, or we will be pardoned and received into everlasting glory. And what determines which of those outcomes that uh, we will receive? Well, that's what Peter finishes with before the Spirit comes. Jesus offers forgiveness to all who believe in him. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in Jesus will receive forgiveness of sins through his name, be pardoned when they stand before him as judge. And to believe in him is to trust him with your life, that he is the one who, as we've just looked at, brings peace between people and God. He is the one who is Lord of all, that he's a man anointed with the power of the Spirit. He died, but rose again and lives today. He will judge the living and the dead, and he will forgive your sins. This is the Christ the Spirit loves to glorify. And so at that moment, as the household put their trust in Jesus, he came on them. And the Jewish believers were told in verse 46, heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all nations. Let us not lose confidence in the power of the Spirit to change lives as the gospel is proclaimed and the name of Jesus Christ is exalted. Amen. Well, Mark's going to lead us in some prayers of response. Should we pray together? Loving Father, we come to you this evening humbled in the knowledge that The gospel is great. Jesus Christ is great. And all that you've done for us is great. We thank you as we've been reminded tonight that you have the power to change any heart. As we were learning last week, there is no hard heart that is too hard for you. Thank you too that as we were thinking this morning, you're a God who knows all things. You see into every person's heart that you have made. And all the mess of our hearts, all the rebellion, all the mistakes, all the regret and shame, you see it all. And yet wonderfully in Christ, you offer forgiveness to all. Father, we thank you for the incredible love that we've seen tonight you have for all nations. Thank you that you do not have favourites, that you poured out your love in the person of Jesus, that all who trust in him may be saved. Lord, just for a moment as we think about your heart for the nations, we thank you for our missionaries who serve overseas. If you know a missionary, why don't you just for a moment in the quietness of your heart thank God for their faithfulness. Father, we do thank you for our missionaries. We thank you for their faithfulness to your call upon their lives. We thank you for your faithfulness to that call. 
in sustaining and protecting. Thank you that you give us opportunities as a church to give to support their ministry and work and to pray for them and partner with them. But Lord, we're conscious too that all of us, if we're Christian believers, are missionaries. You will be my witnesses, Christ said, to all nations, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You've called us all to be part of your great mission. And it's humbling to recognise that you call us, despite the brokenness of our hearts, despite our unfaithfulness, despite our fears and our weaknesses, you call ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And so we thank you finally for the gift of your spirit. Your spirit who comes to live within all who repent and believe. Thank you that if we have trusted in you, we have the living God living within us. Thank you that you are our strength when we're weak. Thank you that you are our wisdom when we're foolish. And Father, as we move from here today, may we be encouraged. You are a God who knows all things. Give us confidence that you know tomorrow and that you've prepared good works for us to do. And please move our hearts to be a church that has the same heart that you have, a love for all nations. Please take away any prejudices we may have. Please take away those attitudes that are so quickly turned inward to our own needs and not looking to the interests and needs of others. And please help us to see the desperate state of our nation, even this community we live in, and the desperate state of a world that in so many parts is godless. But thank you that with your spirit and with the gospel in our hearts that we treasure, that we have the greatest news in the world to share. Please give us the courage to speak it with great joy to all who we have opportunity to. Thank you for what we've learned tonight and please encourage us as we move into the week ahead. Amen. Amen. Here's a challenge for you and I'll give this to myself this week. Who could you speak to this week or at the very least who could you pray for this week that they would behold Jesus? Just think of one person you could write to to encourage one person you could pray for the real strength to say something to or invite to church next Sunday. One person that you could pray for. Because it's a great joy, isn't it, to sing, We Behold the Lamb. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the friend that you're thinking of now could say the same thing? So let me read a, a verse to close. How can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We've all got beautiful feet in this sense. So let's use them this week to share the greatest news in the world. Amen.